You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. Turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. We're going to lurk at verses 26 through 31. If you don't have a Bible, search your house real quick. (laughs) Find one. Follow the scriptures with us. We're in the last quarter of the Bible. Uh, It's entitled the New Testament. Use your index. Find the book of John. Turn to chapter 20 and make sure we're preaching the Bible to you. If you have a smartphone, you can go to the Version Bible app, Y-O-U, and go to the More Tab Tap Events, Find Mount Carmel Baptist Church, and then you can click on today's sermon title and the scripture references, the notes, quotes, all those things will be there that you can save on your phone. If you're watching from outside Habersham County, you can go to the search bar and search for Demarest, Georgia, D-E-M-O-R-E-S-T, and you should be able to pull up uh, Mount Carmel Baptist Church. John chapter 20, verses 26 through 31, I want to continue our series, Our Lord's Triumph. Our Lord's Triumph. And this is the last part, part 7, that I've entitled Vindication. Vindication. In 2012, I was suffering from panic attacks. I was a full-time associate pastor. I was taking a full workload in my master's degree. And around that time, I began to have panic attacks. And one Sunday in particular, um, I was unable to enter into the pulpit to preach. And I hated it. And I began to reflect on some of the variables that I believe precipitated my panic attacks. And I had to come to grips that one of the variables was that I had personal doubt. And specifically, the object of my personal doubt was the historicity or the veracity of the resurrection. Now you're saying, Josh, you're a Christian. You've been a Christian for a long time. You're a pastor of a Christian church. How can you have doubts? And trust me, it it scared me too. I realized that the resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of Christianity. The resurrection is the linchpin of the Christian faith. If you were to remove the resurrection, all of Christendom tumbles, it collapses. Um, There is nothing that you should believe me, say or do, any church that tells you anything or preaches from the New Testament, all of it's false, it's all a law. Everything hinges, it all comes down to the resurrection. And I want to encourage you that if you're seeking God and you're seeking Him through religion, I would first investigate Christianity for at least one reason. It all stands or falls on the resurrection. If you can rule the resurrection in, you can rule all other religions out. And if you can rule the resurrection out, then you've at least taken down a major religion. That's how important the resurrection of Jesus really is. In today's Bible passage, we answer the question, is the resurrection true? Is it true? And if it's true, so what? What does it have to do with me and you? 
Jesus of Nazareth was crucified. Crucifixion was an excruciating execution. It was for crimes like treason against the Roman Empire. And Jesus claimed to be the king of the Jews or God's king. The Jewish leaders of Jesus' day charged Jesus with a religious crime, blasphemy. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. After his death, he was immediately buried. And then on Sunday, after the Sabbath, which was Saturday, on the first day of the week, early in the morning, while the dawn was coming, a group of Jesus' women followers went to the tomb to pay their respects to their beloved leader. But when they got to the tomb, the grave was empty. The women ran back to the disciples and they told them that the grave was empty. Peter and John ran to the tomb and they saw the same thing. What was happening? Peter and John returned back home. And then Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene. Later that day, he appeared to Simon Peter, then to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And then later that evening, Jesus appeared to ten of his disciples at the same time. Judas Iscariot had already passed away, and one of his disciples, who would comprise the twelve, was not present, Thomas. And after Thomas heard that the other disciples experienced this appearance of Jesus risen, Thomas was plagued with doubts. It was just impossible. Jesus' hands and feet were nailed to the cross. He was pierced through his sod. How could Jesus be alive? And a whole week goes by as Thomas is vexed and plagued with these doubts and questions. The disciples gather together again on Sunday evening. And this time, Thomas is present. Let's read John chapter 20, verses 26 and 27. It says, a week later, this is a week after Easter Sunday, Jesus' disciples were indoors again. They're afraid of the Jews. And Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. The two big questions I want us to search through this passage together with is this. Is Jesus' resurrection true? And if so, so what? What does Jesus' resurrection have to do with you and me? Sometimes Christians think that evidence and reason are the opposite of faith or believing. Yet here I want you to notice that Jesus Christ Himself appeals to His own nail-scarred hands and feet and His pierced side as evidence of His resurrection. 
Jesus offered all of those wounds to Thomas as a compelling reason to no longer doubt but to believe that he is uh, risen. It is prudent to consider and weigh the claims and facts of Jesus' resurrection. I want us to consider the objections to Jesus being raised by God. What is the best argument out there to explain the resurrection naturally, not supernaturally, without the aid of divine intervention? In his work, What Happened to Jesus, A Historical Approach to the Resurrection, Gerd Ludemann, quote, is certain that something must have happened after Jesus' death, which led his followers to speak of Jesus as the risen Christ. So notice here, Ludemann tells us he believes that they believed something really happened. Ludemann thinks it is historically certain that Mary Magdalene experienced an appearance of the risen Jesus. Ludemann also thinks that Peter and the disciples had experiences in which Jesus appeared to them as the risen Lord. Bart Ehrman, a famous agnostic in his work, John, Jesus, Apocalyptic Prophet of the New Millennium, says this, Historians, of course, have no difficulty whatsoever speaking about the belief in Jesus' resurrection. The belief. Since this is a matter of public record, for it is a historical fact that some of Jesus' followers came to believe that he had been raised from the dead soon after his execution. The question is, what explains these historical realities? What explains the experiences of Mary Magdalene, Peter, the disciples that caused them to believe and to be convinced that God raised Jesus from the dead? And here's where Ludeman and others differ. They suggest that these experiences of the disciples were not actual appearances of the risen Lord, but hallucinations caused by grief and remorse that convinced them to believe that Jesus of Nazareth had rose from the dead. Now, do we believe that? Should we believe that? Are there any good reasons not to believe that and to believe the gospel story as recorded here in the Bible? I want to ask you a couple of questions to search with me. If the disciples hallucinated the risen Christ, then number one, how can Jesus appear to groups? How can Jesus appear to groups? Jesus appeared on multiple occasions to assemblies of disciples at one time. Jesus did not appear to just one or two people in complete isolation. Think about what is happening in this text. Thomas is upset that he wasn't with the group when Jesus came and appeared to them. Consider how complex it must be for Thomas personally to hallucinate that Jesus is standing there in front of him 
telling him to touch his hands and feet and his pierced side, while at the same time there are other disciples present who are hallucinating that Thomas is having this experience. I like what one commentator said, hallucinations aren't contagious. They are individual experiences. Dr. Gary Collins, it says this, by their very nature, only one person can see a given hallucination at a time. They certainly are not something which can be seen by a group of people. Neither is it possible that one person can somehow induce a hallucination in somebody else. Since a hallucination only exists in the subjective personal sense in our own individual mind, it is obvious that we cannot witness it. I cannot witness uh, what my wife is dreaming. I cannot be there seeing what she is seeing. That goes on in her mind. The same way hallucinations don't happen on a group scale. The idea that all the disciples suffered almost identical hallucinations is all but psychologically impossible. It's impossible to have these group hallucinations. And then the second thing is this. If the disciples hallucinated the risen Christ, number two, why do Jesus' enemies never produce His body? A hallucination does not get rid of a physical corpse. The hallucination theory does not explain why the tomb was empty 2,000 years ago. And it doesn't explain why the Jews and Romans were unable to present the body to these followers and to put this thing down. Presenting Jesus' body to the world would have stopped Christianity. We would not be talking about it today. If Jesus' body were still in the tomb and the Jews and Romans could get access to it, they would have publicly presented it and none of this, this whole New Testament, would never have happened. The fact that the enemies of Jesus not only say they can't produce a body, but say that the disciples stole the body... Listen to this, it's a tacit admission that 2,000 years ago, you can write this down, this is history, that Jesus' tomb was empty. Now ladies and gentlemen, let's put it together. Here's what you have to think or believe in order to have a natural explanation, an explanation of these facts without divine intervention. That Mary Magdalene, Peter, a group of Jesus' followers. Later we'll find out the Apostle Paul that they all hallucinated under some psychological grief or remorse that Jesus had risen so much that they would create this theology of resurrection to immortality and incorruptibility and would spend their lives being missional, going around the world preaching this gospel that God saves sinners and many to their martyrdom and persecution. And at the same time, while these hallucinations are happening, happening, an unknown conspirator, unknown to anybody, went and took Jesus' body from the tomb. You have a conspiracy, an unknown conspirator, and then groups and groups of people are hallucinating Jesus. At some point, with gentleness and respect, 
We just don't have enough faith to believe that. What we believe is the Bible's explanation. We believe the gospel story that God raised Jesus from the dead. That's why the tomb was empty 2,000 years ago. And it wasn't that the disciples were hallucinating the, the appearances of Jesus. He bodily showed himself to them. Mary, Peter, the ten, then with Thomas, the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, the Apostle Paul. If you go read in 1 Corinthians 15, it says he showed uh, himself to 500 people at one time. You cannot get past these claims. So what? So what? Jesus was raised. What does that have to do with you and me? That's 2,000 years ago. That just may be a historical fact. One guy got to live again. You have to understand the context the significance of what it means for you and me as to why Jesus, as to why Jesus rose from the dead. Look at the next verse. This is John chapter 20, verse 28. Once Thomas saw Jesus bodily standing there again, notice what he said. Thomas responded to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. He's talking about you and me. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, the book of John. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What does Jesus' resurrection have to do with you and me Here's what the gospel, the Bible teaches us about the significance of the resurrection. Jesus' resurrection means that he died for our sins. Jesus died for our sins. You and I have sinned against an infinitely perfect and holy God. We deserve death, God's judgment, his full wrath, and hell forever. But on the cross, God sent His Son, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus lived a perfect life, and yet He went to the cross as a criminal for you and me, and bore the full judgment of God and the wrath of God for all of our sins. You and I do not have to stand before the judgment seat of God in our sins. Our sins can be forgiven. We can be Pardon. Jesus' wounds are the fountains of forgiveness, the doors of heaven, and the only source of true joy. Jesus' scars are the signs that sin has been slain, hope is revived, and that God surely loves us. So what do we have to do? What do we have to do to be recipients of the benefits of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection if He died for our sins and rose to forgive us and give us eternal life. We have to get back to what Thomas did. He believed. He believed and he confessed, My Lord, my God. I need you to catch this. 
This is so important. Can I just encourage you for just a moment? Thomas, who was one of the great doubters, that's what we know him as, was also a great theologian in this moment. If you'll go and read back through the Gospel of John, nobody has made this kind of confession in front of Jesus. Jesus, you are God. And so if you're struggling with doubt, you keep working through it because God, it's like a precious jewel. He's going to refine you and one day it'll all come up and you'll see the absolute truth. He is God. This Jesus of Nazareth who died upon the cross as a criminal is the very Son of God who was sent to bear our sin, your sin and my sin, and to bring us home, bring us back into a right relationship with God. And what Jesus wants us to do, He wants us to turn from our sin and to trust Him, to believe in this mission that He died for our sins and He rose again. The moment, please, the moment you believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died to take away your sins and rose again, you are absolved, accepted, acquitted, pardoned, and justified. You have escaped God's wrath and you will live when time is no more. Do you believe? Here's the question. Do you believe this Easter morning that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that He came down in love for you and shed His blood and died on the cross for your sins? And do you believe, and here's what's important, that God vindicated that crucified criminal because He was the Son of God and God raised Him from the dead? If you believe that, then I want you to know Forgiveness of sin and eternal life is yours. And boy, we're just getting started. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is self-existent. He has always been and always will be. He is full and overflowing with power and glory. He laid aside that glory and He became a man. He lived a perfect life of holiness He shed His own precious blood for you and for me. He died naked on an old rugged cross for our sins. He was laid in a tomb, but three days later, He came out of that tomb again. He did this because of His love and His great power and plans for us. He loved us from the foundation of the world. You are nearer and dearer to the Lord Jesus than you can ever imagine. And where He is, that's where He wants you to be. He ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of God. He continually is praying for you. He reigns over all things. He has authority and power to make you a son or daughter of God. And He will grant in His name to you everlasting life. And listen, He is coming again. He is coming shortly and He will judge the living and the dead. We better get ready. And if we're ready, we will reign with Him forever. He is worthy to be praised, church. The resurrection vindicates this crucified criminal as the Son of God. And with it, and with it, it vindicates every word that has come out of Jesus' mouth 
And then Jesus, of course, said this whole book is the Word of God. It vindicates every one of these verses. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. It vindicates this verse. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. It vindicates this verse. The blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin. And it vindicates this verse. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord They will be saved. I'm going to ask every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to ask you in this moment if you will admit that you are a sinner that deserves God's judgment and hell forever, but you believe that Jesus loved you, came down from heaven, lived a perfect, holy life, and then shed his blood and died on the cross for your sins. But we don't believe that the story ends there. That God vindicated Jesus by raising him from the dead and that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you believe it? Will you give your life to Christ? If you do, your sins will be forgiven and you will inherit everlasting life with God that begins now and lasts through heaven. I want to ask you to bow your head, close your eyes. I want to teach you right now to pray to Jesus. He's not dead. He's alive. He can hear our faults and whispers. And if you're ready to turn from your sin and trust Jesus as your Lord and God for the forgiveness of your sin and for everlasting life, if you're ready to become a Christian and commit your life to Christ, then would you pray this prayer to say, Dear Jesus... I admit that I am a sinner and I deserve judgment, wrath, and hell. But I believe you love me. You came down for me. You lived a perfect, holy life. And you shed your blood and died on the cross for my sin. But I also believe God raised you from the dead. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Grant me eternal life. Jesus, be my God. I give my life to you. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you prayed that prayer, will you visit two websites for me? Real simple. Go to our church website, mtcarmeldemarest.com. You can hover over the home tab. You need to click on Jesus Story. Watch that. Watch a, this is like a five-minute video that it gives you more about who Jesus is. And the other thing is the next step in your walk with the Lord, if you've never been baptized, is to be baptized. That's how we publicly identify with Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. When we go under the water, we're saying we believe that Jesus died for our sins. And when we come up out of the water, we're telling the world we believe that Jesus rose again and that he's my Lord and my God. If you've never been baptized, mtcarmeldemers.com forward slash baptism. Fill out that form. It'll reach me and I'll contact you. And if you're a believer today, 
If you're suffering from doubt, if you're like the one who goes, I believe, but help my unbelief. Oh, cling to this. Cling to this word. Blessed are those who believe and do not see. We get the wonderful privilege to believe on Jesus through the testimony and witness of his apostles. And they're sure. They're rock solid. There's no reason for you to doubt what happened 2,000 years ago. You stand on solid ground. Rest in Jesus today. Rest in Him. And then also, with that same gospel urgency that those apostles had, we need to reach the world. You have a billion digital neighbors who are watching share this gospel message on this Easter Sunday. Please. You never know who it will hear, what seed will be planted. And maybe on the other side in heaven, we'll see people who came to know Christ as Lord and God because of a pandemic and the church is online. I'm going to give you a moment or two to respond and to worship our risen Savior, Jesus. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.